Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering the season finale uh, of the first season, maybe the only season, uh, maybe the first of many great ones, called Morton's Fork. Yeah, I feel like, because I've read a lot of interviews with Nate Halsey. Holly? Yeah. Holly Halsey. H-A-W-L-E-Y. Ballsy Holly. (laughs) Ballsy Halsey. Uh, and it feels like that he's open to do more seasons, yeah. but it's a, all a, a clean sheet. And it took yeah. him, it, it because they can only shoot during the winter, he would have to have an entire season turned out before the next shooting period. Ooh. Which means that if he's not ready to go by, like, you know, September, October, probably going to wait, you know, another year before it starts. That's interesting because I haven't, Normally, shows will get renewed like two episodes into a good season. Mm-hmm. It's surprising to me that Fox has not done anything, or that FX has not done anything with this. And I guess you know Fox as a company, because um, it has gotten good ratings, as far as I know. It's been an excellent show. I mean, it's gotten a lot of critical acclaim. It seems like by you know episode five, where people are really talking about it, they think to okay, renew this. It just feels like maybe they would like to do that, but it feels like that he has just really given no thought to his second season. Now, I think that there's certainly hooks, and I've got a couple more to talk about tonight and uh, maybe some more next week in our wrap-up, because we are doing a season wrap-up cast, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is not our final Fargo cast. Uh, If we didn't get everything, because there's a lot of stuff jam-packed and, you know, (laughs) looking back, relax, we'll try to get a bat cleanup next week, but... Sure. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like they did this la- – in the interviews I read, it seems like they greenlit this two years ago. And he wrote you – know, like he had a, basically a pilot and like a page for every episode. And then they're like, sure, go ahead and write it. And he did the uh, – like the whole draft that came out to be like 137 pages. But th- then – they missed the weather opportunity because he would only film an actual winter time with there's snow on the ground. Okay, and I like that. It, it it pushed it delayed the production ten whole months. Yeah. So contrary to popular opinion, apparently it's not winter nine months out of the year in Minnesota. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah, more more like eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so it, it, if he doesn't have, I'm just my point is we're in July. Well, we're in June. We're deep in June right now. He's got to turn around a whole other season. So I feel like if we do have a next season for next year, it's probably going to be shitty. <laughs> okay. I, it's, I just feel like that. He wasn't yeah. given a full year like he was on the first one. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's hard. I mean, we've discussed this many times, how the mini series is a great format because of all the thought you get to put into it uh, ahead of time. You're right. That may not be there in a second season. I would much rather wait two years for a, another home run yeah, Fargo season, and then rush one out next year that's shitty. Yeah, they've set a really high bar. Yeah, because I don't like watching shitty TV. <laughs> Neither <laughs> I'd do I. Wait for good stuff. Although I will watch Falling Skies when it comes back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this intro. I was perusing Reddit today, as I do when I go to think about these episodes. Sure. Saw uh, a Tumblr account, SherlockStuff.tumblr.com, has animated gifs of the intros and title cards for each yes that's very cool i saw that too the only one that the text is not in red the word fargo is not in red is the finale and seems like maybe they flipped a couple things uh on their head this episode which Mm. will we'll we'll have a little bit of discussion about that from eric our fargophile yeah our uh, coen brothers 
authority right uh, later on. But I just wanted to note that up front. What did you think of this? Just as a on a macro level, what did you think of this episode? I thought it was good after after having thought about the episode for maybe a couple hours, like really just sitting down and thinking about it. I think it's way better than it appears on first viewing. My thing, and I, I agree. I think it's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but this feels very much like a Game of Thrones traditional structure where the final episode is a step down from the episode that preceded it. Okay. Like episode nine was so good. And, but, and that seems incredible because you had the Lauren versus, uh, Lauren versus Lester cat and mouse game. You've got the Gus versus Lauren. You've, but I, I don't mm. know. It just feels like that somehow that they, they let off the tension that they peaked when Gus, when Lester sent his, wife in to retrieve the passports and documents that was the peak Hmm. that was peak fargo in terms of our emotional investment and what we felt and just visceral impact and then this was kind of just the natural outworking of, of of the rest of the plot okay i mean i'm not totally sure i'm on board with that but I can see why you're saying that. Well, also, this is the guy that last last episode of the podcast I said my biggest fear or the thing I'm worried about is they're going to make this about Gus saving Molly, and I don't think Molly needs to be saved by anybody. And I agree. I'll, I'll be damned that that's not the way it kind of worked out. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that, too. I'm trying to figure out a good way to break this episode up. I mean, we've done it by character in the past. It seems a little harder to do that this time because so much of the plot is intermingled. I mean, Molly, Gus... Lester and Lauren right. are all kind of this entangled. Is the, this is the conflux. This yeah. is where everything is is kind of happening all at once. But I mean, so I'm going to go through this character by character, but if you have any thoughts that might accidentally pertain to another character, feel free to bring them. I do. The one thing that I was really pissed when I was re-listening to our podcast is I forgot to give this really good take I uh, saw on the rabbit cabbage fox theory. Oh, okay. Uh, and I just want don't want to forget it again that... Uh, Lore, uh, the basically shit i've completely i've i've forgotten <laughs> now that lauren's the fox uh-huh and the his uh, lester's wife was the rabbit okay or no she's the cabbage she's the cabbage all right and lester's lester is the rabbit and the key and peel scene where the, whichever one of them is the chubbier one says I would just stuff the cabbage and the rabbit and then the rabbit and the fox would be done with it. Eat That's literally what Lester did. He wrapped the cabbage inside the rabbit, which is his orange parka, and then the wolf ate it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I remember you mentioning this thought last be week pre-cast, to me. And yeah. I'm like, wow, that's a really awesome take on that whole sure. riddle. And then when Peel, I think it's Peel, he says, well, that's one way to solve it. Well, that's what the, the way that Lester came up with. Yeah, that's interesting. And that brings us kind of to the Morton's Fork stuff. Um, yes. Which I guess we can talk about up front. Sure. Uh, before we get right into the Morton's Fork stuff, I want to talk a little bit more about that logic puzzle with the wolf, the rabbit, and the cabbage. Okay. Um, there's a user on Reddit named The Third Wheel who had what I think is a really, really strong take on why that was in there and why also the glove parable was in there. Okay. Um, he says, I think it's a juxtaposition against the morality based riddle of the gloves mm-hmm. uh that he was that Lester was given beforehand 
the story of the two gloves is incredibly simple. A man who lost his first glove knew his remaining glove was now worthless, so he dropped it for the chance of another person getting a nice pair of gloves. Sure. Lester was completely confused by that riddle. But the riddle of the rabbit, fox, and cabbage is pure logic with a nice tie-in with Malva's predator stories, and Lester gets it immediately. Sure. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, Lester's character, we've talked about it, has changed so much since the beginning of this series. Uh, and I think, you know, at the very end when he kind of gives the smile mm-hmm. after he's beaten Lorne. Right. Uh, that's just showing what kind of new predator he is. Sure. Uh so I, I really like that he didn't get what Molly was trying to tell him about this morality and this this being nice to fellow humans sure. sort of thing when you're screwed. Uh, but he did get the logic. Right. Yeah. I, so I liked the symbolism there and what it tells us about Lester. But why did Molly think to say that riddle to Lester? I Lester's think like, why it's... do you think I'm a bad guy? And she tells him that puzzle. I think it's because she wanted help from Lester to catch Lauren. Like he saw the pictures, he was like, "No." So this situation with his wife being murdered and Lauren stalking him is the equivalent of a man who's dropped a glove. Essentially, she's yeah. like, "Just go ahead and drop the other glove." Exactly. And help us all out. And Lester instead is holding on to the glove, saying, "God damn it! This why is did my I, glove? Why did I drop that glove? Now everything's ruined." He's thinking more yeah, about yeah. his own situation. Okay, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a reasonable take. I like it. Uh, as far as Morton's Fork, it's interesting because we know that a lot of these episodes have been titled with kind of logic puzzles mm-hmm. um, and parables and things like that. And oftentimes they're not even true, I guess, dichotomies or logic problems, They're only uh, paradoxes. They're, they're only logical paradoxes in a very mathematically defined two-dimensional yes. universe sheet of paper kind of logical a normal person yeah. could be like this is bullshit and, and so as we have and so morton's fork is kind of almost an inverse of that it's uh, morton's fork as defined on wikipedia <laughs> mm-hmm. is a specious piece of reasoning in which uh, contradictory arguments lead to the same unpleasant conclusion um and specious for anybody who doesn't know actually means it sounds plausible but it's actually wrong right so we've talked about that a lot of times like especially with the barber like the barber thing sounds like uh, a logic puzzle, but it has a very simple or burden's solution. ass or burden's ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it seems to me like they're they are flipping things on it on its head with the title screen with Morton's fork here. It's like we've given you all these logic puzzles that seem like just logic puzzles with common sense solutions, but now we're doing the inverse with Morton's fork. What is the inverse then? It seems on the surface to be completely plausible. But okay. when you examine it further, it's completely wrong. I I don't know. I don't quite understand where you're going with that one. Okay. Um, maybe you can elaborate after. I th- My take on it was that there, I actually have, I guess, two takes. Okay. That we as the audience were imagining certain things coming out of this episode. We're imagining that maybe Lester would win. And that Lorne wouldn't kill him and Lorne would be killed. That maybe Gus would kill him. That maybe Molly would kill him. That maybe Lester would be killed himself and Lorne would escape to live and create chaos another day. And it's like all these paths led to the kind of the same conclusion eventually. Because, you know, Lester did win. Mm -hmm. But two weeks later, he ended up a block of ice. Sure. in, in, in In the lake. And Lorne... uh 
you know, Lester didn't actually kill Lorne. Gus managed to do it, but it was in a way that kind of made Gus slightly villainous. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk a lot more about that when we get to the sure, shades sure. of green and stuff. The other thing is uh, we've been speculating about whether Lorne is a human or whether he's some kind of demonic uh, supernatural presence. It seemed like this episode did a lot of things to welcome that kind of speculation. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it didn't matter. You could argue that he was this demon or he's like you know some kind of hell spawn or he's an unstoppable force. You could argue that he's just a man. But in the end, he still he still met his fate and he died. Sure. The the really interesting thing about that, I talked about the smile on Lester's face. Uh, now you're bringing up Lorne being the devil and dying and stuff. And you always see in the movies where the the literal devil will inhabit someone's body or something, mm-hmm. right? Like an Al Pacino comes down mm-hmm. and uh, starts fucking shit up as a lawyer. Right. Uh, and then when they inevitably go out, you kind of see that passed on to someone else. You see right. the devil... Well, the devil's tricky. The devil can't be killed in human form. He just moves into another body. Sure. So I feel like much of that is happening here with Lester. Um, throughout the series, you know, he's been kind of corrupted by Lorne, and now we see that smile at the end just before Lester, or just before Lorne dies. That tells me that Lester is now the new evil. Okay. But he's short-lived. He is, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know where the evil goes after that, but I I think that was the point. Um that Lorne just tries to sow these seeds of chaos and evil within people. Well, I also thought that if you go back to way back, I think five episodes ago, where Lorne had that standoff with uh, uh, Gu- uh, Lester's, no, it was Gus's Jewish neighbor, and the Jewish yeah. neighbor exclaimed that he was a Seirim, uh, which we did research into and found it was a particular type of goat, like this you know, physical goat demon that inhabited the des- desert of you know, ancient Judah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and I'm like, so it's, you could argue that, you know, not all demons are like spiritual, metaphysical, like even in the, you know, pre Jewish, um, Semitic religions, there was this concept of a physical, a demon embodying a physical form. Mm-hmm. Presumably, you could kill that physical form. Sure. So it's like, if you yeah. wanted to argue that Lorne was a supernatural thing and he had some supernatural powers, and, you know, I was like, I think there's a lot of argument for that. If you want to argue he's just a man on a rampage, you could argue that. But at the end, you know, Morton's Fork, it doesn't really matter. The unpleasant conclusion is that, well, I guess it's unpleasant for Lorne. He's, <laughs> he's human enough to kill sure. and die. Absolutely, he is. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Lester. Okay. Uh, we start off with Lester... Uh, in his car right where he was last episode. And, you know, he has to go inside and check on his wife. And the, at this point, I'm thinking, okay, there's no way that Lester can explain a second dead wife. No, and he doesn't get off very well no. on the right foot. Uh-uh. Um, so he goes over to Luz. He He puts in place a fairly plausible cover, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he goes to the diner. He says, I'm going to go to the bathroom, sneaks out, uh, forgets the ticket though. Sure, that was the critical. F- I mean, he might have been able to talk himself out of this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did the ticket ever actually come back to haunt him? Is that what we think? The police tracked down. Well, I think once once Gus no hell no once Gus found the tapes, it was game over. Sure, but sure. that's then that's the thing. So that's, why make a big deal about the ticket? Well, I mean, there's another. Well, as we're talking about, there's another Morton's fork. Like it seems like if, a red herring. If Lester <laughs> had gotten the damn tickets, and committed the crime of the century, mm-hmm. 
all the other stuff would still happen. Lester would have, or Lorne would have still come after him. Lorne would have gotten wounded. Uh, Gus would have killed Lorne, and they would have found the tapes. Everything was leading to the same conclusion for Lester. Even his triumph, if he'd have won completely and done everything right and told the most convincing lies and still had fooled the Bemidji police, nothing he could have done would have kept those tapes out of Gus's hands. Maybe that's a Morton's yeah, Fork. I, I don't know. A Morton's Fork is has to be specious. It has to be ultimately unplausible. I think that's what that's kind but of. But that's good. a catch twenty two. You're saying no matter what he does, the same outcome is going to happen. That's catch twenty two. Morton's Fork is a catch is a, a an Im, impossible. Uh, it, it's a bad set of premises. Sure, is what it is. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess metaphorically, Gus or Lester's trying to commit the perfect crime or trying to hide up the per- the uh, imperfect crime perfectly would be a faulty premise. That even you know, what guess, we saw yeah. him do it really badly, but even if he'd done it perfect, it doesn't matter because events sure, outside sure. of his control would still have conspired. I yeah, get I, it. I, I agree mean, with maybe, all that. Maybe it's a little weak, but. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure smarter people than us will come up with it. What's hilarious about this <laughs> is probably not one out of a thousand people to watch this fucking show give any thought of that. They probably don't even aware of the titles of these episodes and yeah. the key and peel stuff is just key and peel being funny. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's fun. It, we spent a lot of time analyzing it and maybe that is another Morton's fork where <laughs> Noah's like, you guys are fucking wasting your time. Yeah, totally could be. Um, and by extension, our listeners. <laughs> so we kind of talked about the the glove thing a little bit, the story that Molly tells him when she brings sure. him in. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that happens. The, the bear trap stuff, when he's actually fighting Lorne, is, mm-hmm. was pretty incredible. I mean, he goes down to the basement, he's looking through the box, and I'm like, what is he looking for? Did he put some guns in there? I do believe you were awfully dismissive of the bear tra- Chekhov's Completely. bear trap theory. I totally was, and it turned <laughs> out to be totally right. Yep. So, uh, I'm not infallible. And, definitely a Morton's fork there. <laughs> and and, and f- it, <laughs> Everything we don't get right is a Morton's fork from here on out. Yep. I feel like that that should have been very obvious with the uh Lauren talking about a bear stuck in a trap yep. and we see in the next yep. episode we see a bear trap and the fact that it was even used like you literally would like yeah. in 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 a forest situation you'd sprinkle and you'd hide it with foliage mm-hmm. in this situation uh Lester clearly, and we didn't. I didn't understand. He's like throwing. Yeah, clothes. I'm like, I'm like does he want the police he... to think that he just got, got home? Yeah, I was or... thinking that maybe he was trying to see show that like Lauren was after him, and that he had, he ransacked his own house and he called the cops, yeah. and somehow get. I I I couldn't figure it out, but I no. knew he was setting something up, and and it was the goddamn bear trap. Yeah, he was he was doing it just like you would try to trap a predator, and I I really liked that. And I was going to ask you since you were so opposed to it. Did you like the way that it actually worked out in the episode? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was perfect. Um, it's so we will have more on this when Eric comments. Um, but a lot of things that they've done in Fargo have been a lot like big foreshadowing events, mm-hmm. like surprisingly so. Maybe mm-hmm. to a degree that I've not seen in other shows, right? Other than maybe like a True Detective or something. Mm-hmm. But they're really good at it in this. And, you know, it's like if we play... I'll just, I'll just let for Eric's take because I don't want to step on okay. that when I'm about to. What else you got? 
Um, let's see. How do you think they found Lester at the end? Does it matter? I don't think it matters, but uh, somehow they were able to track him to Montana. It's like it wasn't important in a Fargo. National Park. It wasn't important to Fargo how the police found Jerry Lundegaard, other than it's kind of, you know, it seems inevitable that mm-hmm. you just can't hide if the police are looking for you. Sure. Unless I assume he didn't change his name or anything either, probably. I just this conversation is weird. I just had this conversation with my seven year old son. He was asking, you know, like what happens? Is it illegal to break out of prison? I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. And we talked <laughs> about like what once you're out of prison, then what do you do? Because unless you're willing to like move to where no one else lives and have no contact with your former life yeah. and spend cash the rest of your life, then you will be caught. Sure. Seems and if like you're it. willing to do those other things, that's no life at all, unless you're like the Unabomber. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you know, go to Alaska. Maybe you, maybe you'll enjoy that life. Mm-hmm. Go to Alaska and ice fish, right. in, a, in a cabin. But I don't think Lauren uh, or Lester's that kind of guy. Uh, it, no. I thought it was interesting that they showed the like the new Planet of the Apes trailer during that, and the guy was like, you know the. They don't need lights. They don't need heat. They don't need fuel. <laughs> that's why they can beat us. They're str- you know, and I'm like, that's that's Lester. He's hmm. he is not going to be able to just hole up in a fishing cabin with no. He's going to have to have some creature comforts, and that's probably I speculate that was probably his undoing. And he, he tried to access his bank accounts or something. Yeah, and, yeah. Boom, he's done. He bought a snowmobile with him. Yeah, I mean that's a problem, right? <laughs> Maybe he just stole it, and that's actually what led him. That that they it was a stolen vehicle report, and they tracked him yeah, down. Yeah, and they got him on a security camera or something. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think he would be able to go out and just be an ice fisherman in Alaska because he would just fall right into <laughs> the water. That scene was terrifying for me. Really, I don't know why. I I just him running out past that thin ice sign. We knew what was going to happen. Well, yeah, they showed it they, to us at the they very beginning. It in the beginning, but it, I was just like. I don't know. Maybe I have a fear of walking out on ice like that. What's well, weird because, you know, I talked about how literally, um, and no pun intended, bone chilling, I found the Lauren lookalike being dumped head first into ice being bound. Yeah. Somehow I didn't feel the same way with Lester. I don't know. It's because he hmm. had agency. Uh-huh. Like, he had made the choice that I'm not going to jail. Death is better. And he went into his eyes open and... Uh, he wasn't bound, and he wasn't coming out of you know being drugged or anything like that. Sure, maybe that's why it wasn't so chilling. And the fact that this also, this guy had no idea. Like he had just gotten in a bar fight, and he's waking up and been slid in the ice. Like there's something horrifying yeah, yeah. about dying, <laughs> almost Lovecraftian about this this evil that you don't understand, and you're mixed up, and you and yeah, you've and not... being powerless to do anything yeah. to fight it. Or Lester knows exactly where he is, why he's there, and that yeah. he kind of deserves this. And watching him run past that warning sign, it just trips all the alarms in my head, saying, this is what Lester has done all series. Mm-hmm. Lester has seen the warning signs and gone ahead anyway. It's also what a wild animal would do. Sure. A wild animal would not stop at the uh, thin ice. They would just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about Lorne Malvo. How about okay. that? Um. So, Lorne in this episode is trying to kill Lester. He goes to his house, tries to kill him, mm-hmm. fails, ends up at his cabin with a busted-up leg, a horrifically busted-up leg. Oh, yeah. Bad week uh. for compound fractures in TV fiction. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and then he's ultimately killed by Gus. So, 
the the Coens like to use coincidence in their movies. Sure. And I know that. And you've, you've had a problem historically with the bigger coincidences. Astronomical co- coincidences. Yeah, fish falling from the sky coincidences. Uh-huh. Do you have a problem with the way Gus found Lorne? Yeah. Not as big as a fishnado. <laughs> okay. I was maybe, which uh, I think sci-fi is coming out with later this year. Sure. Well, they already have Sharknado. It's a scaled down. They, they didn't yeah. have the budget for Sharknado 2, so it's just Fishnado. <laughs> um, I, I, oh, there's a separate, because it's not just, like, the Fishnado was ridiculous because there's a conflux of this once-in-a-lifetime thing happening mm. with the once-in-a-lifetime thing of a, of a man who is involved in this weird extortion scam his his son's driving through it and also that he's been led to believe that God is against him. All three yes. of those things any one or two of those and it's like, you know, okay, fine, whatever. It can happen, it does happen. But all three mm-hmm. of those is just like astronomical astronomically unlikely. Yeah. Lorne living in a cabin that apparently is off of a main thoroughfare because it seems else, like it. it's why the, the road fuck to would, Bemidji. Yeah, why the fuck would Gus be driving down it? That this hitman, yeah. like, I understand he's sloppy and he's done some weird things throughout, but he's just living someplace where a person could just happen to stop by. That a wolf, uh, even having said all that, that a, that a wolf, if he hadn't been standing in the road, Gus would have just draw, driven by and not even seen that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of weak for me, but... I swallowed a fish NATO, and I feel like this was much less. It's like half a fish NATO. It's 0. 0.5 on sure. the fish NATO yeah, scale. This is nowhere near the fish NATO for me. So I I accepted it, and and the one thing that would made it a little harder to swallow is that I once I saw that, and because Gus had just given this speech to Molly about don't make my daughter go to another funeral. Yes, yes, yeah. And then this fucking guy. Yep. Goes in there, rolls without backup, and and I get that there's this is a mirror image, you know, like your uh, Fargo's red now Fargo's not sure. Um, he was urging Molly to call for backup and do things by the book. Now he's not even police officer, and he's like throwing caution through the wind. Yeah, there, there's an interesting transformation I think in Gus's character as well. And Gus would have been a dead man. That's the other thing. Gus would have been a dead man had Lore not staggered in there. With a busted up fucking leg. Yeah, yeah, that, probably. He would have died and his daughter and his unborn <laughs> child would have grown up without a parent. And that's, I just... I, that's I, the thing. It's opportunistic and it is hypocritical, right? right? I mean, he sees the thing, he's like, oh my God, here's my chance to, to be a hero. Uh, that's not what I think is going through his head. I think it's more like protecting Molly. Right. Because uh, who knows if she's even going to listen to his warnings. I get that. But still, it's I, I just didn't like it in the fact that you know, people ask me because I said, "Yeah, this is great. This is a great episode and a worthy finale." Yeah. Still, it peaked last last week, and people I, are like, I'm not, well, yeah. how, "How could it peak this week?" And I'm like, "Well, an easy way was to put Molly in jeopardy because we never, since Molly's gotten pregnant, and she's been in this happy situation. We felt like you know, long range dread that like, well, Lauren's back in town and all of this, but she was never in immediate felt like danger except for that sure. one time where they almost met in a cafe and she got shot by Gus." <laughs> Well, but I'm saying that's, that's when she was in danger. <laughs> that was before. In these last yeah, few yeah, episodes, yeah. in the home stretch, she hasn't really been in real danger. And I'm thinking, as tense as this episode was, if we added Molly to the mix, I feel like they either had to have added Molly to the mix or if Gus had died. That would have made so it. It's, it's interesting because the Holly, the, the creator of the show, 
he said in an interview that he wanted this to be like the movie Fargo, where mm-hmm. in the movie Fargo, Jerry's not brought down by Marge, who is kind of the one who's doing all the detective work. Jerry and everything. fucking Lund- Jerry fucking Lundegaard is not Lorne Malvo. I'm just telling you what Holly says. I get it. Yeah, all right. He says he wanted it to feel like that, so Molly was not around when he was caught. He wanted it to feel more real, like the police work would, you know, track the guy down. Now, I don't know how you you kind of connect that with Gus just happening to find Lorne. To, uh, to me, that's very stupid because he's confli- he's conflating the two characters. Okay. Like, Lundegaard is... Not even like Lester is shot past Lundegaard. Le- yeah, he's completely incompetent. Yeah, I mean Lundegaard is not a threat at all. The fact that the police, you know, through uh, nose to grindstone police work, made to drag him half naked out of his hotel room. Yeah, great, fine. But uh, Marge did confront whoever uh, that uh, what's his name, Peter, the French guy's guy's last name, the wood chipper guy. She oh, managed yeah, to yeah. confront the real threat and bring him down with her gun and put him in the back of her police car and, and take sure. him in. Um, and I guess he's not even as dangerous as, as Lester. Or, I mean, Lorne. Lorne, yeah. I, I just feel like that is not really a valid point. I mean, there's there's nothing... Sure. He doesn't have to tell the story I wanted him to tell, obviously. Uh-huh. I'm just saying that <laughs> I don't... I, I think his defense <laughs> is a little weak there because those okay. are not the same thing. All right. Yeah, I'm just reporting what he said. Okay. Um, I guess let's continue with Molly and Gus since we went so far into their stories. Sure. Um, I see Gus's transformation here being indicated by him seeing the wolf and deciding to go after Lorne. Um, that's something we know he didn't do in the past because he actually backed down when Lorne, when he first saw Lorne. Right. I think it's a, a fair bookend for him to be the first one to encounter Lorne and back down and not be able to do what he needs to do, and for him to be the last one to see Lorne and kill him. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm not saying this is a travesty. Sure. I'm just saying it was slightly disappointing. I'm not even saying that to harp on, okay, cool. on you. I'm just saying and that's right. how I see it. You're right, and the wolf um, being a direct callback to that predator analogy and, and uh, yeah. for them to bring that back around in the final confrontation with Lorne you know, there's a reason I didn't hate like that. I could have easily hated sure. the way they sure. did this, but I, yeah, I have to grudgingly admire that. Yes, there is a lot of symmetry there and an inversion of everything that happened. Um, yeah. and, and there's a lot of other stuff too. I mean, it's not just the wolf, it's the, the game show that they're watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when we first see Gus, he's like, well, he should just take the money, right? He's playing it safe. Right, right. He also does that at the end, but then there's a comment about him being afraid of spiders and how Buzz Aldrin was afraid of spiders, but he went to the moon. Sure. Or he went to space, is what he says. Uh, it seems like Gus has acknowledged that there's going to be fear and maybe understands bravery better now, understands courage, that even though he feels that fear, and he obviously did in that cabin, you can see it on his face. Certainly. He decides to do what needs to be done to protect his family. Yeah, um, and... I like that, and I like his character arc. I just feel like it didn't. I wish it didn't happen at the expense of Molly's. And I know that Noah sure. says, "Hey, I, I understand that." Yeah, look, he's still a mailman. She's now the chief of police, and she got validated by Key and Peel, who it turns out are morons, and she got <laughs> validated by Bill, who it turns out is a moron, and she's going to lead uh, this. You know, she's going to be chief police of a town where they're all a bunch of Keystone cops. Mm-hmm. I, that doesn't feel satisfying to me, but 
it is true to the Fargo movie where Margie came home to her husband getting on the two cent stamp and she's still the small time uh, police chief and she's going to have her family and that's the, the quiet pleasures of life that she's satisfied with versus all these venal um, corrupt people that have to have money and excitement and want something better at the expense of others. So it's like I okay, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of got two minds of it. I liked Molly. I think Molly's the best thing. She's the best character. She's the one I was rooting for. Uh, and I like Gus, you know, I don't, I, I, and I liked his arc. It just felt like somehow Molly was a little bit of a minus one and he was a little bit of a plus one. And that's a little formulaic to me. Yeah. I, I get where you're coming from. Um, and I don't know if that affects my enjoyment of it at all. If Lou, and then, and again, it's like maybe if, if Lou had killed Lester Lorne, <laughs> that would have felt a little dishonest yeah i, I don't know but or i don't a little diminishing I, I i don't know i i somehow feel like maybe i would have like if that's the thing it's like i i feel like i'm trying to take down gus to defend molly i sure. love molly yeah yeah and i wanted her to kick ass even pray i mean just just like the movie fargo and i didn't get that yeah. so i'm a little disappointed but i also can't complain with the way it went sure i uh, i mean the if you take molly out of the picture i think gus killing him makes a ton of sense um, I mean, given all the stuff that happened at the beginning and, you know, he's kind of been chasing him the whole time along with Molly. Uh, th- there's also the shades of green, uh, sure. riddle that yes. Lauren had presented to him in episode four. Right. Um, and it took Molly helping him to understand that for him to get it. And he sees, you know, the, the recognizing those shades of green is to recognize the predators mm-hmm. is to understand what the problem is out there. And I also feel like I mean, people talk about shades of gray. We talk about shades of gray all the time with heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, I think Gus did something that was a certain shade of gray, killing Lorne. I mean, he killed a man, right? but he views it as the greater good. And apparently most people, everyone views it as a greater good because he's getting a citation for it. Yeah, it's interesting because oh, a lot of feedback and a lot of it in some participation in the Facebook threads, there's a lot of like foreigners people from the UK, people from Australia in particular, I'm thinking, where they're like, what the fuck? Gus can just murder this dude, an <laughs> injured dude that's unarmed and get away with it. And I'm like, have you heard about Florida? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you, so, But seriously, I feel like I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, maybe it's because okay. I'm an American and we're, we're all gun nuts. Um, I'm not not that I didn't have a problem with it because morally I have a pro- I didn't have a problem with it in this setting because he's an ex police officer who's married to a current police officer uh, who's been directly threatened by this situation and I feel like that the boys in blue and the girls in blue are going to completely turn a blind eye. I mean, to he killed this, the police shooting. Yes. yes, yeah. There's no way that they would ever press charges on something like that. No. Uh, and it, call that fucked up. Call it what you want. I personally think it's uh, a morally justified thing to do, knowing the character of Lorne as well as we know him. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I might roll a little bit darker than people in the podcast might even suspect. Like, I don't have a problem with murdering Lorne, period. Like, sure. That's that's what I just said. Yeah, yeah no. So I, said, so I totally <laughs> okay. agree with you. I didn't want to seem like I'm arguing. Yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah. I also said, well, I don't know. Or morally, no, morally, I'm fine. Sure. Like he's he he's a total break with the social con uh, contract. Uh, I think it would have been a more fitting end for Lorne to be a caged animal, a crippled caged animal mm. who's going to die of old age in prison, where he can no 
probably in solitary where he cannot threaten anyone. He cannot bully anyone. He cannot enjoy tormenting anyone. Sure. Uh, and all he'd probably do is think about ways he could off himself. He can't listen to his tapes anymore. That yeah, would have yeah, been yeah. A, a very poetic end. But I can't argue the guy kill, putting down a guy like Lorne. Sure. No and in way. the end, the dog catcher puts down the dog. The and wolf. imagine, like, you know, it's like, do I want to live in a society where a guy like Gus would be sent to prison for killing Lorne in that same manner? My yeah. answer is hell no. Sure. All right. That's uh, Well, now you know our morals on there you go. Uh, capital punishment for murderers, <laughs> for sadistic murderers. Sure. Uh, what else should we talk about there? The do, we do talk you have about anything else briefcase? about Molly Gus Lure Bill? His oh. briefcase. Okay, no, sure. I, I can't. Uh, what did you? Uh, what did you like the moment between Molly and Bill, where Bill is just Loved finally? I am completely out of my depth, and I yep. recognized that. And you were right all the time. I liked that moment. That felt like more vindication for Molly than anything else in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's been talking about foreshadowing. That was foreshadowed very early. You're going to make a great chief someday. Sure. Is what he told Molly. Uh, <laughs> boom, she's chief at the end. Right. It only took a year. Apparently, yeah. And the murder of about 30 people. <laughs> so there's that. There's also Lou's stuff where he goes and sits on the porch of Great uh, Molly and Gus' house, uh, staying up all night, keeping watch. Reminiscing I... about the Sioux Falls incident. Yeah. So that brings me to the question. Like, they never actually explain what happened at Sioux Falls. He doesn't really give much more information here other than he took a bullet in the hip. That's why he's got his limp. Mm-hmm. Um he says, once again, it took place in 79, and he says what temperature it was outside and all mm-hmm. this stuff. But we don't know the actual story there. We know there's a massacre. Do you think that they might come back with season two in 79? Did you read Seppenwall's interview? I didn't. Okay, with Holly. He said at one point, he gave an answer to uh, Alan asking him about this that kind of could be read to say that, in fact, Lorne was the assailant behind the Sioux Falls massacre we kind of speculated on that in the past yeah but then alan followed up after i guess he read it and he said huh he actually followed up and directly asked him are you meaning to imply that lorne was the perpetrator of the sioux falls massacre and holly said no i am not (laughs) does that mean he just doesn't want to imply that exactly or does that mean it's not true exactly I, I like. I you, wish you need Alan, to rephrase that question. I Alan. wish Alan said, "Are you did did you? I mean, is is Lorne the, the yeah? Do you mean? Yes. Well, no. If he says, "Do you mean?" He can say, "Well, that's not what I mean." But yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know? Or maybe I guess he wanted him to get an actual answer, but no. Yeah. So, if you ask him a pointed, is Lorne the seventy nine murderer? So basically, we don't know anything more than we did, did know, except for Noah Holly did not intend to say that he yeah. definitely was. The, <laughs> but you know, again, as we talked last week the age matches up uh-huh. the, the weird story you told about being a dentist matches up i the only problem i have is i felt like they've almost given too much information about like if you wanted to ha- hang another episode or another season on this story yeah it's there's too much stuff we you know, know too much ends. about how it ends and and what went on with uh it, and that's the kind of creative handcuffs you don't really want when you're trying to tell a new story out of claw or maybe that's how it begins mm. maybe the maybe the next season could begin with the 79 massacre yeah and lauren could go around doing whatever else lauren has done in the meantime well i mean again it'd be very brilliant if they could cast a young a younger billy bob thornton in that role and a, do i want to see a young Lorne and a young Lou 
going head to head over police work where it ends up in an <laughs> epic standoff at Lou's house? Fuck yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially if they can tie in the origin of the million dollars that sure. began began the parking garage building empire of uh, Jerry Lindegard's father-in-law. Yeah. If they could do that, that would be fucking amazing. Uh, I just wonder if they, he if he intended to use that as a hook if he's not given too much information about it. Yeah, no, you might be right. Okay, let's go back to Lorne. Can we talk about his we briefcase? We started to talk about him. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Uh, because else, do we have anything interesting to talk about him? I mean, we've... we've... Sure, uh, I wanted to talk about the car he's in, going okay. to the... the used car dealership i didn't find that very interesting i mean it's not super interesting so the i don't know why this guy's driving a bmw up in minnesota in the winter bright red bmw it's like bright red is a terrible idea if you're a killer yeah first of all it's great if you're a dentist but i don't think he should have driven that from las vegas is what i'm saying sure a bmw is a terrible car for minnesota in the winter Uh trust me i've had one of those models and it is (laughs) fucking horrible uh it's just a bad all, bad all around car as far as Minnesota winters sure, go. Sure, sure. Uh, and it attracts attention. Obviously, Gus spotted it. Right. So I have a little problem in my head, I guess, with the timeline here because it seems like they had set up roadblocks on these three roads coming into Bemidji. Uh huh. Um, and that happened after. Lauren went into Bemidji. Must have, yeah. It had to have. No, he. I think I mean, they he, showed he was, that out of. He was inside. Sequence. Lou's. Uh, he visited Lou's cafe. Now, are they saying that Lauren's cabin is within? That's this, what I'm wondering. The, yeah. the town of Bemidji. Because if he's within the then circling police blockade, and it's hard to tell because some of these. I see how he gets to the dealership. Some of these rural towns. You know, you could you could very well be in a cabin like what Lauren's got. It just doesn't make sense that he would shack up there, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Maybe he's yeah. desperate because he sees that there's roadblocked, and now that this is, like, the best thing he could find. Well, I mean, he does go to the used car dealership. He knows that the BMW is going to be That's not his cabin, though, right? That, I, I, I always assumed that he probably killed somebody and took that cabin. Or it's like one there's of those hunting cabins closet. that maybe people use in the spring or the fall, yeah. but in the dead of winter, it's, you know, because it didn't have any heat, didn't have any power, right? It was just something he was shacked up in. Yeah, and you got to wonder where his dental practice is. Did they tell us that? Yeah, it was in Kansas City. Okay, well, that's where he's living then. I don't think this is his cabin. Hell, no, yeah. So, all right, I, I didn't think so either. Um... What's, can we talk about his briefcase? Nope, not yet. He Damn goes it. To, he, he goes to the used car dealership. Um, and I was thinking, oh, man, is this the car dealership where Jerry worked in the movie? <laughs> no. Of course not. Um, but something interesting about it is the guy who is at the car dealership and later you know, is killed yeah. by Lauren oh, yeah. is the guy who refused to buy life insurance from Lester in the first sure. episode. And we know that That's he awesome. had an, at the time unborn child, and now he's talking about well, I've got you know I've got a daughter. That yeah. was a nice. That was a very nice callback. So bad decision on his part not to buy. Although who can blame him with this? No, the, I feel like he, he has he bought since bought some because he when, have, yeah. when Lester uh, Lester saw him at the cafe as he was walking past, he quote unquote used the bathroom and make the phone call to report the gunshot right outside Lou's cafe, which is a spectacularly bad idea. Sure. Uh, but he actually made contact with the, the guys like, Hey, and like, he recognized them in like, um, a, a uh, happy recognition. Like you helped me out. Thanks for helping me with my insurance and all that. So when Lester gives a good pitch, this guy's on board. Do you think Lauren killed the dude? Yeah. Let him go. No, I think he killed him. Why okay. wouldn't he? Yeah. I don't know. Cause Lauren's weird. He does shit like that. Nah, that's true. 
but he last person he taped up definitely got killed. Certainly, but he didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> he did not. You're right. I don't know that we. That's one for the ages. Speculate that on that all day. Uh, okay, let's talk about the briefcase. You uh, seem keen to talk about that. I do. Why is now that we've got the whole season out before us, we speculate about why Mar- uh, Lauren does the things he does. Why is he keeping this briefcase of people? I've got a theory uh, that it's that it's kind of like, do you know the Samuel L. Jackson character from Unbreakable? Sure. The M. Night Shyamalan. The guy with the purple suit and the crazy hair. And you find out that he, you know, spoiler for a 10-plus-year-old movie, you find out that he's actually like the supervillain that's been trying to find a superhero that's his counterpart. He's the Lex Luthor that's trying to find or create a Superman. Is Lorne this guy? He's the one of the two brothers that founded Rome. He was raised by wolves. He's trying to find his brother, that he's trying to... This is a catalog of him experimenting on people hmm. to either find uh, a kindred spirit or create a kindred spirit. Interesting. I like so, that. So he is like, and just like, you know, the Samuel L. Jackson guy had all these clippings of all the things he had done and all, and, and casting this net to find the superheroes. Like the, the, these tapes were stuff that he'd listen and like, you know, I fucked up here. Maybe next time I do this. And he was just trying to get his formula just right to make this thing happen. Sure, or just, you know, collecting the evidence that he can later listen to and say, was this guy, is this guy the the counterpart that I'm looking for? And, I mean, you could also say, look, come on, Aaron, he's just jerking off to these things, or this is the stuff he gets he's off to. He's also doing that, yeah. But I feel like this is a more interesting direction to take that. Is there new season potential in Lorne's briefcase? Would you like to see the Lorne files, where <laughs> each season is a, a, a tape plucked out of that, and... Mm-hmm. That's an easy way Billy Bob has to come in for a day's worth of voiceover work yeah. and maybe a day's worth of shooting, <laughs> and you can tell a whole story about all this descents and the madness that he's mm. caused. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. I still think the best option for a sequel is around the money uh, or Sioux a Falls, second season. Sioux Falls or the money. Y- yeah, those it, are both really interesting. Looking uh, forward or looking backward? Do we want to see what happens to the money next with the king, or do we want to see how this money originated in the first place, or what did it truly spawn? You know, wholly out of clean intentions mm-hmm. with the Lundergaard business. I don't know. I, I, future and past, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, what I want to see is the continuing saga of yeah. this money, or or potentially the continuing saga of Lorne, or the previous saga of Lorne. Well, I don't think they're no going to get Billy saga. Bob. Unless he literally is a yeah. supernatural person that will later in- sure. inhabit, yeah. Uh, but th- what he did previously, I would love to see. But I don't think they're going to get Billy Bob back. I recall an interview with him saying the thing I love about this is I can do it and be done, as opposed to other TV shows where I need to sign a five-year contract and be stuck in this thing. Uh, so I-, I don't think they're going to get him back, and I don't think Martin Sheen or whatever his name is will come back. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't want. Sheen. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily say uh, deal for like a pre a prequel sort just, of deal. Billy no. Bob says that, but again, it's kind of like when we were talking about twenty four. If they could somehow make a season around, because Keith or Sutherland's gotten to be expensive, and you know, yeah, there's, yeah. plus he's just kind of out of story. If you could 
keep 24 going with new characters, but somehow still involve Jack Bauer. Mm-hmm. And you just bring him in for like one day of shooting to do a bunch of office scenes. And it's then better call Saul. They're doing it right now. Yeah. It's a spinoff for, kind of. and we have no idea how that's going to turn out. No. And we don't, I mean, you could yeah. say, well, for every lone gunman, uh, another Villigan production. Exactly. Uh, you've got <laughs> Frazier. Uh, so sure? there's, there's yeah. certainly it's a spinoff is not on its, the face of it, a terrible idea. Sure. But, it's a Morton's fork. But we're talking about so you, <laughs> you're talking about spin-offs rather than sequels. That each each do Fargo anthology is gonna I, I guess that's I feel what like the that's anthology what it format. Be. It is a spin-off. It yeah, is a yeah. sequel. Okay. Sure. Uh what'd you make about Lorne's interaction with the wolf there at his cabin? That's interesting because I feel like Lorne was still trying to view himself as the wolf, even after getting stuck in the bear trap and even after getting shot like four times. Or at least he's a predator. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's fair to say that he has viewed himself as a wolf the entire time. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, when you see him wake back up from being shot multiple times, and he's kind of just, like, huffing and puffing and baring his teeth and, like, mm-hmm. trying to get up, he looks like a wounded dog who doesn't want you to touch it, who's who's on his way out. Hmm. So I feel like he still viewed himself as the wolf, but obviously he wasn't. He couldn't be. There's a cool take online where someone said that when he looked at, if he said it, and he looked at the window and he saw the wolf looking right at him, that that was the moment where he realized that he wasn't the predator. Hmm. Because a wolf would not have gone after Lester to eliminate him because a wolf doesn't have ego. A wolf doesn't have pride. Sure. A wolf doesn't give a shit. It's about survival. It's about survival and moving on. You know, a wolf would have, if he was feeling punitive, maybe dropped that tape of of uh, Lester in the mail to the Bemidji Police Department and then gone on his merry way to uh, fuck shit up. I think Jasmine uh, P. had that take on Facebook, that he would have just dropped the tapes and gone on. But a human with arrogance and ego goes back to kill this guy and that's what fucked him over his human nature even though he is an inhuman character he had this human quality of pride okay i can buy that why not uh is there anything else you want to talk about i feel like that's about all the main points there's a couple of uh cool callbacks to fargo that we haven't talked about um lorne dragging his victims the Key and Peel characters, uh, Pepper and Budge, behind the wood pile was kind of a yeah. sly, especially with the big blood trails, mm-hmm. was a uh, kind of a sly nod to the wood chipper scene. You had the DLR plates, the dealer plates, in effect, <laughs> a callback to uh, Fargo. Sure. Uh, the way that Lauren set his leg and used the, uh, yeah. the, the needles on his leg was very similar to the way that uh, Anton Sugar... Uh, was treating his leg in No Country for Old Men. So a lot of Coen Brothers references. We've had two or three per episode. I thought that was really cool. Uh, There's also another Easter egg. Someone paused and looked at the names on Lauren's briefcase. Oh, okay. And there was two, Ken Wills um, and Carson Wells, or I'm sorry, sorry, Carson Wells was uh, the character played by Woody Harrelson on No Country for Old Men. Hmm. And okay. the rest were all credited as cast members on the show, according to IMDb. Oh, all so right. there was like one nice. one Easter egg for the uh, for the previous show, uh, a previous movie from Nicole and Brothers, and the rest were credits to the cast and crew members. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
we have talked a lot about the symbolism and foreshadowing and stuff. Uh, but before we get to feedback, I want to go ahead and play Eric's uh, clip for this week because he goes into detail on that. So here we go. Hey guys, Eric here, personal arrogance host, resident Fargo file. Uh, and uh, well, the first season of Fargo is now behind us. I'm still trying to digest uh, everything that happened in that last episode and everything that's happened over this first season of Fargo. But there is something that I wanted to run by you guys and get your opinion on. Um, you know, we've, we all love these great shows. Um, uh, the true detectives, the, the, the breaking bads. Um, and there's something that I think that this Fargo series has done that wasn't done in those shows. And, that's the blatant sim- symbolism that we see in Fargo. Um, you know, I've talked about it time and time again, but Lauren Malvo as the dog, um, Gus Grimsley as the dog catcher. Uh, it was spelled out early in the show that Gus would catch Lauren, and in the end he did. Um, the other uh, interesting um Interesting idea here in this show that once two people pair off, uh, one of them is going to die. That that played true all the way through to uh, to uh, Lester's uh, wife Linda, and uh, that that theme was finally broken when both Key and Peel died, and both Gus and Molly lived. You could say that uh, that uh, that Key and Peel took those bullets for Gus and Molly so that they could have the happy ending. Um, and, and of course the fish, uh, the fish trope that, that found itself or the fish theme that found itself into this show where fish became harbingers of doom. There were the fish on the screensaver. There was the fish, uh, being eaten by the mob bosses in Fargo. And there is of course the fish tornado that offed, uh, Stavros's son, um, pretty heavy handed symbolism running through this entire series and it led to some predictable outcomes um how do you guys feel about that does that diminish the show for you at all or does that uh do you like that kind of heavy-handed symbolism because when you look at good at these great shows these these uh, examples of television mastery shows like uh, the aforementioned breaking bad and true detective they do have themes that run through but nothing quite as heavy-handed as what you found here in Fargo. Um, that's just kind of my initial thought after after ending the series. I, I still want to digest. I probably want to watch that episode, the last episode, one more time before I formulate my opinions on the whole season. There were some extremely strong episodes. Um, I think episode 9 was just in, incredibly top-notch. And, of course, uh, the episode with the snowstorm, uh, cutting the season in half with a uh, with Molly getting shot, um, with numbers being killed, and with uh, Lauren escaping once again. It's just epic television. Um, so uh, there were definitely some highs, definitely some lulls, um, definitely some lost plots in the series. But I, I suppose uh, we'll get to that if we get to a wrap up cast. Um, but just kind of want to get your opinion here uh, on on the heavy-handed symbolism that ran through this series, and whether in the end that paid off for you, or or whether you would have liked something a little bit more subtle. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, so what do you think of Eric's thoughts? 
uh are is he kidding me we've built a whole podcast empire dealing in bacon gauntlets ham-fisted metaphors and obsessing and over things and trying to find things that aren't even there i love that shit yeah that's definitely in breaking bad it's definitely in you know mad men and I mean, that's the thing true detective mad men's probably the worst offender because they have themes that they spell out within a single episode and beat sure. you over the head with it um yeah 2001 I, I, Oh, my God, did they beat us over the head with that. And we say that beating over the head, but still, that's something that you're still, like, the top 10% of people probably even notice. Everybody else is enjoying one thing. If you look deeper, you start seeing these other things. So it's like, is it truly beating us over the head? I don't know. Um, I thought the other thing is, what I thought was interesting about Fargo is at no point did I feel like I knew what was going to happen next. Yeah. And yes, the dog catcher thing turned out to be correct, but it's not like, and it's obvious in hindsight, but I Mm -hmm. don't know that it was obvious. Like if I held a gun to Eric's head and said, is Gus going to catch Lorne? Would he have said, yes, no, for sure. I'm that sure about the uh, foreshadowing. Because the other thing is Gus was shown as kind of an inept dog catcher. True. That was his purpose in life. But could the dog actually bite him? I thought that the foreshadowing and that kind of stuff, the symbolism, is particularly fine in this se- season. I agree 100%. I think if that if there's one thing that Fargo as a show has done really well, it's foreshadowing and payoff. Right. They, they've, like, just simply the bear trap. I mean, that was so well done. It should have been obvious. It is obvious in retrospect, like you said. But it wasn't at the time. It seems so absurd that this... Okay, yeah, how was he going to catch Lorne in a fucking bear trap? Yeah, yeah. But I, mean, then, I think that was end, your problem with it. It was, and in the end, it paid off perfectly. Yeah. I think, like you said, that's what the show really excels at. Right. Uh, whereas in shows like Breaking Bad, I can think of like one time where I was just completely blown away by that makes perfect sense, and I never saw it coming. Well, the other thing is the internet is has an interesting case for these showrunners, and it's something that George Martin's talked a lot about in, in Game of Thrones, that there's this hive mind yeah. that you can have a really clever riddle, but one person saw, t- starts tugging on it, and then it's like, you know, kind of like scientific knowledge advances. People stand mm-hmm. on the shoulders of giants. That one particular perceptive person pulls a thread and then another particular perceptive person that might not have got the first thread pulls a little bit further. And pretty soon this complex tapestry that you've woven that you thought would be a mystery for the majority of the readers for years is cracked for anybody who can get on uh, Tumblr. Sure. So it's like if, and it's probably cracked just by viewing a GIF. Yeah. And like (laughs) what if you people out there listening, like you might've caught in a few of these things, But unless you were reading Reddit and reading Alan Suppenwall and listening to podcasts, would you have gotten it all? Sure. And how does that change? I mean, that's something I've often wondered because we've talked about the experience of watching something just as a purely fan. Even was just you and me sitting on the couch talking about afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's completely transformed when you start to examine it with this excessive detail. And this is probably the first time Eric's had a taste of that, being a part of that. And I wonder, mm. so, so this is kind of like, okay. and we've wondered that too. I remember the first time after we get done the first thing, uh, our first season of Breaking Bad, it was a ton of fun. Uh-huh. But we said, it's like, man, sometimes looking at the spoilers, <laughs> like the symbolism, it makes it hard to just kind of enjoy w- watching it as a fan, especially if you're yeah. taking notes during the first, you know, some rookie mistakes, like trying to take notes during the first viewing of something. Sure. Um, so I don't know. It's 
that's, I guess, my comprehensive comments on it. What did you think? Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with basically everything you said there. Uh, we've debated about, you know, how does doing a podcast on a show change your enjoyment of the show? And I think it does, certainly. Um, so the idea that going on the internet and going on Reddit and just browsing all these things and saying, oh my God, there's this connection and this connection and this connection. Well, I I think in some ways it helps when you view a show because right. you can really understand the depth of the show itself. But in other ways it harms it because now you're not watching it just to have fun. You're not watching it for a great story or whatever. You're trying to pick it apart. Mm. And that's where it really changes my relationship with the show. You know, speaking of some detail, because we talked early on about the character's last name, Molly Salverson. <laughs> of course, You know, yeah. Lorne Malvo, Gus Grimley. And we talked about Grimm being kind of like, you know, maybe it's a bad ending for him. Mm-hmm. I was doing some research uh, after I saw this last episode because I remember there was this uh, in the Harry Potter series, which I know you haven't seen, you could give two fucks about. There's yep. a concept of a Grimm, this big black dog being a harbinger of doom and when i saw this episode the wolf was kind of a blackish wolf hmm. and it, it 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 called to mind that so i started looking at it because it didn't seem like grim uh it led to anything bad happening to gus and i started researching the mythology and i saw on wikipedia that there's in parts of europe including britain and scandinavia it's believed that the first person buried at a new churchyard it was their responsibility to guard it against the devil and nobody, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to be that person. Your soul is eternally wrestling with the devil to control this church. So to get around that, they would take a live black dog and bury it alive. Huh. And wow. that would transform it into a guardian spirit that they called the church grim that would then eternally protect the church. That's fucked up. Is that black? <laughs> so, well, sure. For the, for the, for the grim, the poor grim, the poor, the, yeah. the poor animal. So is that was that the symbolism that they were going for with Gus Grimley? That Gus he, is the guard dog. Ultimately, it was his responsibility to be the guardian for this community, the guardian for his family, and the black wolf kind of assisting him in that role. That could be it. Uh, and hell, this no, I, I've never see, heard anyone talk about that before. No, I didn't even know that was a thing. Honestly, yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly in the end, yeah, he protects them. All right. Anyway. Um, should we do some pimping and then move on to feedback? Yeah. If you like our podcasts, please consider supporting us at subbable.com slash bald move. Uh, it's a way for you to support what we're doing. And it's not just the Fargo podcast. If we're not familiar, we've got a Game of Thrones podcast. We've got coverage of Mad Men, Walking Dead, uh, big Breaking Bad stuff. Uh, I can't I'm, even remember all I the can't shows remember. we do. I'm, even the ones we're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got just started an Orange is the New Black podcast. If you're looking for something post-Fargo to consume, we're doing a week-by-week kind of book club-style discussion. Uh, I mean, we just got so much content. If you'd like to help us produce that, please go to subbable.com slash baldmove, and you can get cool perks uh, like bald move memorabilia, phone calls with me and Jim, et cetera, et cetera. I thought you said cool perks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in the eye of the beholder, Jim. Okay. Uh, some would see that as uh, no. Anyway, I was going to try to make a Gus Molly joke here, but uh, you can also support us if you shop at Amazon by using our Amazon.BaldMove.com link. And again, if you're using Amazon and you're not using that link, please consider doing so because it just gives us free money. It doesn't cost you anything. It just you have to remember to use the link, and boom, whatever's in your bucket, 
we get a cut that we steal directly from Amazon. It's kind of a genius. If you can't do any either either of those things, please consider taking about a half minute out of your day and going on iTunes and giving us a, a rate and review because that's how we grow our audience. And uh, I, we're blown away by the response to the Fargo cast, by the way. We had pretty modest ambitions, and this quickly became a pretty, pretty big hit on the Bald Move Network. Uh, we, in, we intended it to be just kind of a half-assed, it's kind of instant reaction cast, <laughs> and it's become, I keep joking, that it's the increasingly full-assed coverage. Yeah. Because it's involved in a nice little 90-minute podcast for us. So thanks for all your support. Thanks for all your feedback. These show threads have been epic on Facebook. Uh, and if you can't do any of the things I've mentioned before, you can always tell a friend or family member, send them a bald move. We would be glad to have them. Let's do some feedback, Jim. Sounds good. I'd like to open up uh, a point I made, uh, or a point about last episode. Uh, Steven's a dentist, and he had some information to give to us. He says, I do not disagree with your assertion that dentists are a bit odd. Who wants their whole mouth to be, or who wants their whole world to be a mouth? Although I don't believe one of my classmates would become a sociopathic mass murder for hire, I don't think you could say it's beyond the realm of possibility if a dentist were to fall from grace. Uh, Though I don't think it's only dentists who are odd, I think medical uh, professionals in general are wired just a bit differently. Medical students, pharmacy students, veterinary students, they all get interested in some pretty weird stuff. Interesting, he says, about veterinary students because he then segues that the opening shot is not a routine cleaning. And he actually goes on and talks about a lot about how wrong I am that you can just fake being a dentist with six months of practice. I instinctively (laughs) should have known that was true, but... Certainly. He also says, what I most thought was interesting is how Lauren references teeth to the patient at the end of his amphetamine discussion. He says, I'm still a little worried about the 203 and 204, so we should make an appointment to get together again in about six months. Lauren's using the Trident tooth numbering system. Dentists number the teeth, and there are multiple systems used to do so, but the Trident system isn't used by dentists. This system is used by veterinarians who reference teeth across different species, (laughs) such as cat dog, horse, etc. I don't know if this was done purposely to suggest Lauren's source of background knowledge or not, but I certainly thought it was interesting. That's awesome. So there's a couple ways you could take this. Mm-hmm. One is that he did have veterinarian medicine training. That's how he kind of sets his bone, and he's got maybe access to drugs he shouldn't have, although I'm surprised he just you know can't pull up to the friendly neighborhood white van drug dealer and say, I need this, that, and the other. But it could be maybe he's got some veterinarian background. It certainly could be, yeah. It also could be an overt reference to the way he sees people as animals. And that's a sly wink and some I mean because that's the thing, like Noah Hawley. Hmm. How many people in his audience are dentists and would, would or dental hygienists or whatever and would get this? Not very many, I imagine. I imagine even more. I mean, how many dentists are also familiar with the veterinary method of numbering teeth? Yeah. So it's like Throwing that in just as a wink and a nod, that's pretty deep shit. I think so. I think he has really thought about this a lot, and that's what you get, and that's why Fargo is such a great show. He also was, he was directly talking about um, you know, how Lorne could masquerade as a dentist. He said maybe if Lorne, all he had to do is composite fillings, then maybe he could master that skill in six months. They're just about the easiest things that dentists do. Uh, and then he says if you start talking other stuff, um, it's a huge stretch even for someone as smart as Lorne. 
He says, it could be in this group practice, Lauren agreed to take all the fillings and giving the other dentist the more expensive and complex procedures. Maybe, maybe even swung it as a, I'm the low man on the totem pole, so give me all the grunt work angle. It's incredible or far-fetched that he could fake it for so long, and the $100,000 bounty seems like a relative small prize for so much work, especially given how casually he threw it away in the elevator. I guess it just cements the idea that Lauren enjoys his work and is certainly not in it for the money. Don't forget the floss, Steven. I thought it was sure. a pretty interesting take. Uh, yeah, the stuff about you know the actual dental work and the veterinary system and all that is fascinating. Um, his take on you know the money, I guess, and why Lauren was willing to just toss that in the elevator. I mean, I presume he's making you know a fair dentist wage as well on top of it, right? He has to, right? Yeah, he's working, <laughs> so someone's got to pay him right. for being a dentist. So, you know, on top of that, maybe he doesn't need the hundred grand. Nina P., uh, our colleague over at uh, Project Fandom, who's also joining on me on the Orange is the New Black podcast, Orange is the New Cast podcast, said she was a bit disappointed in the finale. In the end, it felt like Gus did save Molly. Then again, wasn't he owed that as well? Riding along of letting Malva go in episode one, how many people had he killed after that night? That's a good point, that we haven't talked about the body count that Gus is potentially directly responsible for. Sure. Although, I'd also argue that had he tried to stop Lorne, the body count would just be one higher. Yeah, and his daughter would be in an orphanage and all sorts of horrible stuff for his family. Uh, she acknowledges that. She goes, but it still was Gus's job to try. I wanted to say that Molly's hard work and diligence didn't pay off since she wasn't the one to actually catch him, but her payoff is certainly being chief. Um. Mm-hmm. She says, overall, the season was such a pleasant surprise. The only reason I bothered to tune in was for Martin Freeman, because I love him on Sherlock. I had no idea that the, B- the deadly BBT was involved, and she's glad she did. You know, I've, it's interesting, because when I post on Facebook, I always, you know, it shows a preview of the image that I select for the podcast. And I had so many people... Like, shit, I didn't know Billy Bob Thornton was in on it. Uh, what? I didn't know that Martin Freeman's in on it. And the most surprising, I just did a throwaway of Key and Peel looking, oh, you know, oh, flashing yeah, yeah. FBI badges, like a, you know, a press photo of them. Uh-huh. And people, like, went ape shit. They're like, oh, my God, Key and Peel's in this? I'm going to have to check this out. Sure, I can understand that. No, I just thought it was funny that kind of this snowball stuff where people like Fargo, you know, it's an old movie from 1997, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then it kind of snowballs. People get. You know, different personalities and actors bring it in, bring people into it. Sure, Star Factor. Uh, speaking of Star Factor, INJ said, "In case or ENJ rather, in case you didn't make the connection already, Martin Freeman saw a variation of this rabbit, cabbage, fox riddle on the UK version of The Office: the fox, oh, the chicken, yeah. and the bag of grain." In an episode called "Training" from season one, episode four. Uh, arguably the best episode in the whole series, in fact. Is it the one where they sit in a circle and Ricky Gervais plays a song? Beats the shit out of me. I've never seen the UK version of The Office. But oh, if you God, wanted to good. check out uh, Martin Freeman wrestling with the same uh, uh, same puzzle, who, just in case you didn't know, he's the guy played in Lester, mm. uh, check it out. And you can watch the whole thing on Hulu, too. So that's cool. Uh, Mara R said, really enjoyed the show, although it's a controversial opinion, especially by you two, question mark. I like Fargo better than True Detective. Mm, no, can't do it. Yeah, I True mean, Detective is so good. <laughs> the fact that I hesitate, yeah, that should say something very highly of Fargo. But the ex- the experience of watching True Detective, and I liked it even more than you did. 
Sure. Was just every every episode I felt like, damn, I'm watching one of the best things on television. Fargo, that feeling kind of snuck up on me. It really did, and it, it was halfway through the season before I realized, man, this is a good show. Yeah, I wasn't... I, I'm, I'm trying to think the, exactly the point where I started taking it really serious. I think mm-hmm. it might have been the Snowstorm episode. Okay. Where I just realized how fucking tense I was. I think that was like episode six? Yeah. This is the first yeah. time that people... I'm, um, there was that one nice moment between Gus and Lauren when he pulled him over the first time, and I felt really tense, but I didn't really know Gus yet. Sure. But that Snowstorm episode, I couldn't believe how freaking tense I was, and it had taken them that point to lay it, and I started thinking, wow... And it was so different than anything I'd ever seen on any other show. It was funny. It was quirky. They had weird musical beats. They had weird characters. And it it took guts to do that snow scene. Sure. I mean, let's white out the screen for a good 15 minutes. Right. I don't know that other shows would do that. Right. The the only reason I give True Detective the nod, I think, is because of the acting. Yes. Because it's just impeccable. It. I mean, Matthew McConaughey and and Woody Harrelson. I mean, I think... Billy Bob and Martin did again. They do what a great I said, job. No when doubt. you see Martin transform in a scene, yeah, yeah. between Lester and then Lester, mm-hmm. it's it's just incredible. But again, I feel like True Detective was like an acting showcase. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's completely Emmy worthy. She continues, Mara, maybe because I grew up in Ohio, Iowa, or maybe because I love the movie so much, but I found the show much more compelling to watch and found myself way more excited about how it would turn out. I did like True Detective, and I've been waiting for a McConaughey-Harrelson joint, pun intended, for a long time, but I find the show half as enjoyable as I did Fargo. You know, the I agree I- with that, though, yeah. Um, as enjoyable? Yeah, I had way more fun watching Fargo than the horribly depressing at times uh, true see, detective I, I don't my uh, enjoyment does not necessarily equal being entertained okay i kind of like the same like when the summer that bat the first nolan uh, uh christopher nolan batman and the uh, iron first iron man came out mm-hmm. i'm like you know which is better i mean it feels like batman was more important but it, iron man is more entertaining it's like kind of a toss up i i conflate the two i i really need both i can't really yeah the first four episodes of true detective had me really worried that i wasn't going to like that show i also think that true detective slightly was more appealing to men okay because it was, you know, this kind of like the sta- standard male anti-hero thing, uh, men doing man things, whereas hmm. Fargo had a slightly bit, and I don't want to say that, like, you know, women can't enjoy True Detective, because obviously shitloads of them did. Sure. But I also think that, um, you know, there's another instance where all the most of the women in True Detective are hard to relate to, or, you know dumb or home or objectified or, or <laughs> whereas there was you yeah. know the, the you always had molly here in fargo arguably the star of the show sure so um anyway she said wanted to clarify some things lauren definitely killed the car dealer guy right do you think so i think so we talked about yeah. that uh do you think there's any rhyme or reason to who he killed and who he let go if he's only killing people deserted for one reason or another did he kill budge and pepper because they failed to catch him the first time around because it only seemed like he killed them because they were there. When couldn't he have forgone any use of the FBI car and just snuck into Lester's house another way? It's not like I dislike the way they wrote it. I just hate to see Keen and Peel die. Uh, what do you <laughs> think about that? Do we... 
I mean, I felt like he killed people that were in his way. Yeah, they they were clearly there to protect Lester, and so they had to go. I think with other people, if they, he's just messing with them. And if he's like, hey, if you if you let me have my package, fine. If you don't, find yeah. out what happens. Sure. If the guy had said, no, you can't have your package, he's we, dead. We might, yeah. Immediately. I, I feel like that's the case, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she also said, I wonder if you two will be discussing the Emmys or live tweeting them. Uh, nominations are July 10th, and the actual awards are a month earlier this year on August 25th. Is You know, we talked about some things we could do live. Were you interested in like maybe even live podcasting? I kind of am, yeah. I don't know what that would be like. Just be a marathon podcast. Yeah, but I mean, it would, would be our last Game of Thrones would podcast. Like, would like <laughs> eight three, hours. <laughs> would like three people watch that? Uh, should we just do it as an experiment? I mean, yeah, I think we should. I've, I'm gonna be watching them anyway. But there's like so many like, you know, it's like aren't there like daytime drama parts and like comedy? I, I sure. don't know that I'm gonna care about most well, of it. Well, we'll talk shit. All right. Uh, no promises. Let's make it that, sure, that it's sure, something sure. we're inclined to do. Yeah. Uh, Rachel H. said, my initial reaction was similar to Aaron's. I thought that Malvo and Lester were respective white whales for Gus and Molly, so I was fine with Gus taking care of Malvo. Not so much with Molly and Lester, the Molly and Lester resolution. Hmm. However, yeah. that's a good point. Very good point, That yeah. they gave Gus his, but not uh, Molly's. And I didn't even think of it in that way. However, after thinking about it some, maybe the point wasn't that Molly's thunder was stolen by not having her catch. Lester and the actor even slapped the cuffs on him. Maybe the point was that the case didn't need to be resolved for people, especially the chief, to recognize that Molly was right about everything and should have been in charge all along. She was validated without needing that cliche gotcha moment to paraphrase what she said in the end. That's nice. You got a citation, sweetie. I'm going to be chief. It might not be the most satisfying reading, but it does zig where he thought it was going to zag, and it shows a character growth for Molly, who would have disregarded the consequences of rushing headlong into danger alone, who normally would have. Um, I find it hard to argue with that take. Yeah, it does avoid cliche. I think you're right there. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It depends on how they did it, but I don't know which one I would find more satisfying. Graham H., Emailed us early on in the season asking what he should do. Should he go ahead and watch Fargo or should he watch the series first? And we said, you know, you're in this far. Just put the movie on the shelf, watch the show for what it is, and then watch the movie later and see what you think. Okay. He said, I took your advice and waited until the season had ended to watch the film. In the end, it was the better choice. Had I watched the film, I would have spent the whole season comparing it, which would have affected my enjoyment. But seeing the TV show first, I was able to enjoy both. I'd still point out things in the film that I recognized from the TV series, but it didn't affect my enjoyment of either of them. Okay, good. I wanted to say that I I feel like I might not have had a big deal about the fishnado had I not just completely thought that that element was inappropriate in a Fargo universe. <laughs> okay. I do feel like seeing the movie first set this kind of a certain level of gritty yet surreal realism set yeah. in like kind of almost like, like a noir sort of yeah but a weird yeah. um you know lake wobegon type of npr <laughs> version of Wisco- of, of a minnesota uh type type uh yeah. noir sure uh anyway uh scott k said read an interview with writer noah uh, holly that i thought you might find these questions interesting is from up rocks they said, the ending was sold for me when Molly makes the comment about how she's chief, so she's won, even if she wasn't the one who ultimately got Lester and Malvo. 
Holly said, in that first episode, Vern says to, to her, you'll make a good chief one day, but the other thing that made the Gus and Malvo game work for me was that the fact that while on the one hand you may see it as a victory for Gus, but it's also a victory for Malvo, whose driving motivation in life is to seek and turn civilized people into animals. He pushes Gus to commit murder, so it's not a storybook ending. There's some darkness and some gray to it that made it the best way to end a story in my mind. That's sure. a strong point. It puts Malvo as almost a Joker role, and Gus is the Batman mm. that goes ahead and murders the Joker. Yeah, that's essentially what I was trying to get at with the shades of gray, shades of green sort of thing. Mm. Um, Gus, you know, had to do, had to become a shade of green, a predator, to take out this guy. So. Sure, but it also, it doesn't seem like it affected his character much. But it did. Yeah, it yeah. was, I guess, a moral victory for Lorne that he. Yeah, maybe so. He made a mild-mannered guy lose his shit. Uh-huh. Uprox uh, then said, Why did Malvo spare Lester in the elevator? Was it for the thrill of the chase, or did he see something relatable evil in him? Holly said, I think that Malvo, Malvo's goal to see how far he can push civilized people. I think he's actually shocked and delighted at Lester. He did not expect this, that Lester was, he met was a milquetoast guy. He underestimated him. And this moment, Malvo's been chasing this bounty and working this guy for six months, but Lester comes along, and in that moment, he's suddenly more interesting. He has no problem killing everyone in the elevator and then basically telling Lester, hey, let's spend some time together. I want to see what I made. Lester steps in the elevator acting brave, but then something terrifies happen, terrifying happens, and he chickens out and runs away. I like that take on Lorne that... Lester was more interesting than the work he was doing because that's and that kind of leads credence to my unbreakable theory that like he's like holy shit this actually worked mm -hmm. I didn't break this man I made him stronger in the end he didn't make him that much stronger <laughs> no might have made him heavier fell right through that ice yeah I wonder what it would have been like if Lorne had like said hey i'm busy right now but here's a phone call let's catch up and he could have not have to put lester in that situation where he just yeah. brutally murders a bunch of people because uh lester can't read his mind sure. lester's just thinking my god this is crazy i wish i hadn't have done this <laughs> yeah i don't know i read that interview too it's uh there are a couple other questions in there that are good yeah check it out it's on up rocks with uh two x's dot com uh, that's all I got. We will, of course, be back next week with a season wrap-up. Hopefully, we'll have some feedback because it's probably going to be the backbone of the podcast. If mm -hmm. not, it'll be a short but sweet one. Okay. If you'd like to send it in, Fargo at BallMove.com. You can also drop stuff on our Facebook thread for this podcast on Facebook.com slash BaldMove. Or if you got a short take, tweet it at Jim over to Jim at BaldMove on Twitter. And that's all I got. Sounds good. Wrap it up next week. Yeah, we'll be back in one week for a wrap-up cast. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.